Hey there, everyone. So do you ever get tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Do you ever get the urge to cut through the world of everyday surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths? Well, then maybe, just maybe, the Wisdom of Podcast is for you. Because in this podcast, we explore great works of philosophy and literature and art and try to pull out of them what's most invigorating and interesting and inspiring. Whether they come from the works of Plato, or Dostoevsky, or Picasso, here we explore ideas that move mountains and rock the soul. So come join us, won't you? Come worship at the altar of ideas and come celebrate the dancing of thought. And don't be afraid of the leaping sparks as you can be certain of one thing, they will kindle the light inside of you. Welcome to the Wisdom of, coming up today, Vico and the Barbarism of Reflection. As uh, some of you might have heard, I am I'm back home now, back from uh, back from the Wisdom of tour of Korea and Japan, and uh, have to say I'm pretty sad to report that it uh, it didn't go terribly well. Turns out when you leave the uh, the Wisdom part of it at home and you only bring the uh, the of people tend to get uh, a little peeved, let's say, even for the famous polite cultures of Japan and Korea. So let's just throw that away, put that aside, a fail experiment, and move on to today's episode. So back to the topic, uh, much like uh, I personally did, history reached its absolute apex in the 90s. This, according to uh, Francis Fukuyama, Full disclosure, I don't get literally mentioned in his famous book, uh, The End of History and the Last Man, but I think that any astute listener will, will feel my influence all over his theory. Simplified from uh, Simpleton's point of view, by the time we reached the 90s, uh, liberal democracy had, had vanquished all its foes, the, the Cold War is over, and every other political theory had, uh, had seemingly been dispatched, and everything was tilting towards awesomeness. Add to that other evidence uh, kind of evincing the toppermostness of the poppermostness of the 90s was more personal that he surely looked at. So from my point of view, like in the 90s, uh, I saw Nirvana live and in the flesh and against the steep odds that uh, most betting houses had established, my virginity became a thing of the past history, as you might say. And uh, I um, okay, so well, what else was cool in the 90s? Uh, I, oh, I went to Europe. So. When you combine this all, like when you combine the vanquishing of Nazism and Stalinism, as we all know, never to return in any form whatsoever, combine that with me rocking out to a heart-shaped box, 
firm in the conviction that a never-ending stream of future Nirvana classics would surely continue long into the future, it was hard to argue that things could get any better than this. It's not like it was some sort of magical utopia. That wasn't really either of our points. It was just that things just weren't going to get any better in the big picture. But hold on. Along comes this uh, this negative Nelly with, uh, with a, albeit a killer name, uh, Giambattista Vico. And by comes along, I do have to say that he did die a couple of centuries and a little bit more before my plane even touched down at, uh, at Heathrow. But regardless, here comes Vico. And this is a direct quote from this guy. He's like, nah, dog, you got it backwards, my man. History ain't getting better. It's like getting worse. But the thing is, what does he know? Before this morning, I could have sworn that this guy was the shortstop for the New York Yankees or some such thing. Here are some facts that I've put out. Facts as I've defined them. Vika had most definitely never seen Nirvana. His virginity question is open to debate. Uh, Maybe he might have had children. Who knows? What do you want from me? Truth? Accuracy? That's for the other guy coming up. And he never went to Europe because he couldn't go there. He was born there. Boom. So no wonder he thought that life was getting worse as history went on. So do you even want to bother with this pot at this point? Or can you uh, can you bunk this guy has been so thoroughly debunked by me, yours truly? And there you go. He's back, folks. Now, why is it always the 90s with you anyway? Just show some courage and get rid of that old Nirvana shirt and uh, move on. There's a whole world of new music out there, you know? But you know what? You are right about one thing, though. Gian Battista Vico. What a name, right? But anyway, life is passing quickly, so let's get on to something less stupid. Okay, so who was this guy? Well, Giambattista Vico was a 17th and 18th century Italian philosopher. And what I want to talk about in this episode is is a book that he published in 1725 called The New Science a work which turned out to be one of the most influential works of philosophy in the modern Western tradition. Okay, so in that book, what Vico claimed was that that history was, was cyclical. More specifically, he believed that all civilizations proceed according to three stages. He called them, in a chronological order, first, the age of the gods, then, the age of heroes, and finally, the age of men. So, how does he characterize each of them? Well, to limit each to just a sentence or two, by the age of the gods, he has in mind our our earliest primordial time, at least in terms of the start of a culture, one where we saw ourselves as ruled by a, a thunderous sky god, and where mythological and poetical thinking both united us and determined the way that we saw the world around us. By the, uh, by the Second Age, the Age of the Heroes, Vico has in mind a time when the, when the theological poets took control and became heroes and unconditionally ruled over the less powerful. 
And uh, by the third age, the age of men. Vico has in mind a time where poetical thinking is overtaken by human reason. This is an age when, when equality and rationality begin to flourish and where people use argument, not force, and so where every individual is sovereign. Okay, so now having said this, what Vico believed was that in the, uh, in the oldest time, in the age of the gods, even though the conditions could of course be dismal, there were real necessities and hardships about life that was actually a good thing for us. We had to use our ingenuity more, and that's because we had to solve very real practical problems if we wanted to survive. So, there was a kind of practical wisdom we had back then that has, over time, over the course of the historical stages, become lost to us. But, now here's the thing though. For Vico, this loss, this is just an inevitable part of the, of the civilizing process. And so there's something, something paradoxical about the whole thing. That's to say, as the hard survival problems of life are slowly overcome, the condition of our existence improves, yes. But yet, yet this improvement causes us to become less active and more, and more reflective. And because of this, we, we soon fall into a life of luxury and abstract thought, and so eventually lose our capacity for ingenuity and for challenging work, and so quickly succumb to our own dissipation through self-indulgence. Like, uh, for example, the Roman Empire did with its Neros and Caligulas. So notice here that for Vico, increasing civilization is something that's achieved at a price. The price to be paid for it is a kind of, a kind of decreased energy. The cost is hyper-reflection and idleness over spontaneity. Now, this is the tragedy of the human situation. In our forward march, in our progression, we set the prerequisites for our eventual decline. Actually, there's a famous passage of the New Science where Vico very candidly describes the three cycles of the historical course of civilizations. This is what he says. He says, Men first feel necessity, then look for utility, next attend to comfort, still later amuse themselves with pleasure, thence grow dissolute in luxury and finally go mad and waste their substance. Wow. Okay, well, it's this last stage of the age of men, this part about a eventual dissolution, that Vico calls the onset of the barbarism of reflection. So, what does he mean by this exactly? And why is it important to recognize? Well, the barbarism of reflection marks the waning or deteriorating stage of the civilizing process. In other words, it represents the end of history, of sorts. Okay, but uh, how does this begin exactly? Well, it's what happens when, among other things, reason and scrutinization and, well, reflection goes too far. And so where everything can be questioned and so gets uh, fractured. But um, let me back up a bit here. So remember in the earliest stage of history, in the age of the gods, 
we saw the world through poetic intuition and metaphor. And that's important because we were all humbled and united under a common belief, united under the, uh, the sky god. But over time, we began to see things differently. We soon began to, to bring our own interpretations to the world, and then to see things for what they really are, so to speak. We created enlightenment ideals, and we adopted a, a scientific perspective. So, notice that there's a gradual move from poetry and metaphor to a kind of, a kind of distance and objectivity. There's a move from faith to skepticism. But um, that's not the end of it, though. You see, what eventually happens is that distance turns into irony, and skepticism turns into cynicism, and then cynicism turns into absolute relativism, and then absolute relativism turns into rampant individualism. And this, well, this marks the barbarism of reflection. It's when the bonds established by religion that hold a society together gets broken down by, by individual interests. Interests that have been fostered due to each individual being locked inside their own conceptual or rationalizing schemes. This is a place where, where private interests rule and where everybody betrays everybody else. A place, as Vico says a place where we lash out at the slightest displeasure or offense. So, if it's not already clear, notice something. Notice that for Vico, barbarized reflection is much more harmful to us than any kind of uh, physical barbarism. That's to say, being locked inside our own reasoning or conceptual schemes is much more nefarious, much more dangerous for society than exploiting brute force. Okay, now, if you don't already see it, which uh, I'm sure you do, notice how eerily close Vico's barbarism of reflection comes to characterize our world today. I mean, aren't we under the grips of the same civil illness? Aren't we at that same point of decadence, a time where many of us disregard truth and even scientific evidence and create our own facts and our own little worlds according to our own little pet theories. Echo chambers and my own personal facts and fake news and attack on expertise and lack of humility all seem to rule the day. And because of all this, because we've assigned ourselves as our own arbiters of truth, we've eroded any possibility of any consensus between us. Everything has become destabilized, and social unity has been undermined, and along with it, the common good. We've turned our cities into forests, and our forests into dens, and so turned ourselves into those very beasts we thought ourselves so much better than. Such are the effects of the barbarism of reflection.
listening to The Wisdom of Podcast. If you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com 